Well, good evening. I'm Robbie. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and it is such a joy to be with you all here tonight. Um, I have absolutely loved being able to serve alongside Pastor Cody. I'm very thankful for him and his ministry, the ways that he loves the Lord and loves others. Um, it uh, is an encouragement to my heart. I hope it is to yours as well. Uh, I'm also incredibly thankful for these student ministry leaders. Um, they love you. They love the Lord. They care about you. And they want you to know more about Jesus. And so I'm very thankful for them. I hope uh, you don't take that for granted, time with them, learning from them, and growing with them. I've enjoyed spending some quality time in Ephesians, uh, so if you could go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and while you're there, I'm going to uh, just give you a quick recap, a big picture recap, as well as uh, overall just what we learned about last week. So first of all, before we jump into Ephesians 2, big picture of Ephesians, Pastor Cody's taught us about chapters 1 through 3 is about salvation accomplished, who we are. Chapters 4 through 6 is about salvation applied, how we live. And one specific thing that I want to draw your attention to tonight is uh, the phrase, in Christ. And Pastor Cody defined in Christ in a very helpful way and something I want you to keep at the forefront of your mind tonight as well as we learn from God's Word. Pastor Cody defined it this way. He said, this is Paul's favorite way to refer to Christians as our foundational identity of being made one with Christ. And that is going to be very significant to remember as we talk tonight. Last week, Pastor Cody reminded us uh, about Ephesians being originally written to some people in Ephesus. And he mentioned that it was God's, God's word to us was first God's word to uh, the Ephesians. Sorry, to the people in Ephesus. I don't want to misquote him on that, so I just want to make sure. Uh, so we visited Acts chapter 18. Spent some time learning a little bit about the historical context there, learning how there was this Jew-Gentile distinction and that after time, Paul was trying to communicate with the Jews, but they were being stubborn. They, were being, uh, they weren't listening to the gospel, and so Paul began to move into uh, time with the Gentiles and begin preaching the gospel and clarifying the gospel to the Gentiles. Pastor Cody last week alluded to the fact that the next few chapters in Ephesians are going to help us understand a little bit about unity between the Jew and Gentiles, but also more specifically, Christians should strive for unity, which Christ so powerfully created. So this week, we're going to unpack a little bit about Paul's understanding and writing on unity, so we're going to understand what it means to be brought near to the glory, to the praise of his glory. But before we talk about that, I want to talk a little bit about disunity. All right, so we live in a world of rivals and disunity, uh, and so I actually have a few of those rivals that I want to talk about tonight. So uh, first of all, we have a re Republican versus Democrat. All right, we got that's, that's a rival, right? We see that. Okay, even today. We also like uh, Hogwarts and Slytherin. Anyone like per Harry Potter? Yeah, we got, we got one up here, okay. All right, so that's a rival, right? This, uh, this team, all right? All right, so what about the dark side versus the light side? You guys, anybody like Star Wars? All right. Speaking of dark and light side, we have Microsoft versus Mac. All right. All right. So we got that. Uh, we have IU versus, I'm sorry, sorry, Michigan versus Ohio State. 
All right. Anybody? Okay. IU versus Purdue. Let's make it a little more practical, okay? Avon versus Brownsburg. Oh, okay. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. The last one, Danville versus Tri-West. All right, yeah. So those are some very practical rivals that we see. There's this disunity, naturally, right? Um, those are some good ones. But I, uh, I want to also, for us to reflect a little bit, there are more, some other rivals that are much more violent uh, in the world that we live today in. Um, some are, they condone each other, they hate each other. Some have even killed each other as well as a result of that. So uh, in the 60s, for example, this is a picture of back in the 60s of a conflict between white and black. And this is actually still, we still see scars from that today, right? These wounds happened back then and still see these scars and the ramifications of that conflict to today. There's conflict between Shia and Sunni Muslims overseas. Um, I've seen that firsthand, and there is very tensious conflict that happens between them. And it's historical. It's based in history. There's conflict between China and Japan as well, presently, again, from historical challenges that happened. And then finally, there's a conflict between Jews and Palestinians. This is a present day uh, picture of what happened just recently. Uh, this is something I grabbed from BBC. So it's a present day conflict. And we live in a world of disunity, tensions, and conflict. Tonight we're going to talk about one tension in particular. And this passage that we're about to read deals with addressing not just religious, cultural, or racial tension, but it deals with a relationship tension. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start reading verse 1 of chapter 2 and read to verse 13. Verse number 1 of Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is the verses that we're going to be talking about tonight, verse number 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, 
you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Father, as we jump into your word, please bring us into humble submission of you. And may we delight in the fact that Christ has brought unity through his death. May all of this be done to the praise of your glory. Back in uh, chapter 2, 1 through 10, Paul made a contrast between spiritually dead and spiritually alive. All right? And here in verses 11 through 13, we see another contrast that happens as well. Paul makes another contrast talking about people who were separated from God and his people and those who have been brought near to God and his people. This promise that has been offered, it has been offered through Jesus. It is not just to one group of people, but is now offered and available to all people. So in verses 13 through, I'm sorry, 11 through 13, Paul shows that we were, what we were like before being in Christ, and then what we were like after being in Christ. So let's dive in. We're going to see what we were like before Christ, okay? So in verse number 11, this is what we were like before Christ, but Paul first tells us to do something. He says, remember, you were at one time, at one point in time, a certain way. Okay, Paul is writing to the Ephesians which is primarily a Gentile audience, which we've talked about a little bit. And he's alluding to this Jew-Gentile distinction, and he's doing that to make a point. Uh, he, although it's a little bit about the Jew-Gentile distinction, he's trying to emphasize a point at which he is drawing our attention to. Whenever he uses the term circumcision, he is uh, using that in reference to the Jews. And whenever he says uncircumcision, it was a Jewish ethnic slur for anyone who is uh, not a part of the Jewish community. So therefore, basically, everyone else in the world. All right. So verse 11 tells us what we were like before being in Christ. The Jewish people were a chosen people, set apart, but Paul reminds us what we were like before Christ. Verse 11 says, we were not set apart. Verse 11 tells us what we were like because we were not God's chosen, covenanted people. We were not set apart before Jesus. If we wanted to come to God and be in relationship with him, we had to adopt the Israelite way of life and uh, live through the covenant that God made with them. But now, because of Christ, our access to God is through Jesus, the new covenant at which he made available. And this opens up a much broader net of people who are granted access to God. So before being in Christ, we were not set apart, if not brought near by the blood of Jesus. You too are not set apart. Verse number 12 tells us another thing, what we were like before being in Christ. We were separated. We were separated from Christ. Have you guys ever been separated from someone? So a while back, before Julie and I, my wife, before we were married, we were geographically separated. Uh, she lived in the United States while I lived in China. And then we had so much fun doing that that we decided to switch it up. And she would go to China and live, and I would live in the United States. This is all before we were married. And we, we enjoyed this long-distance relationship for two years. But we were separated 
All right, we were separated from each other, and that geographical separation impacted our, even our relationship separation, right? If we were having a good day or a bad day, we couldn't just hug each other, right, to express our sorrow or our joy. Um, if I wanted to talk to her, uh, I had to wait until she would wake up because it was a 12-hour difference. So we had a limited amount of time to talk, right? And I, I wanted to get to know what she likes and cares about but even that, it took a limited amount of time to be able to get to learn her and get to know what she loves and enjoys. I had limited access to her because I was separated from her. Before being in Christ, your relationship with God was not the same. Before Christ, we had no hope and looked into a very long distance relationship or separation from God. But this chasm of separation did not span across continents. It spans into eternity. If not brought near by the blood of Jesus, you are separated by God and from God. Verse 12 continues what we were like before being in Christ. It says we were alienated. Not only were we separated, but we were also alienated from God. We were foreigners to God. We were not citizens in his kingdom. While I lived overseas in uh, that time in China... I uh, had the, the privilege of traveling to Hong Kong, and while I was in Hong Kong, I, uh, my passport and some cash were stolen from me um, while I was there. Now, uh, usually I'm very aware of while I'm traveling, but I had let my guard down because I had been traveling 72 hours on this train ride from one point of uh, China across to the other side. So I was a little, I was a little unaware of what was going on, and I was in kind of a rough part of town, too, so that, wasn't, that was another not a good idea either. Um, but from that moment and for those seven days, I was stuck in a country with no citizenship. I was a foreigner or an alien in the land, and I could say that I was a U.S. citizen, but I had no way to prove that I was a citizen. Before being in Christ, our proof of citizenship is in the world. Our rights that we inherit, it's, our, it's death due to our sins. If not brought near by the blood of Jesus, we are alienated from God. Verse 12 continues, we were strangers. We were also considered strangers and strangers to the covenants of promise. This is what we were like before Christ. So to help clarify this idea, suppose... Uh, <clears throat> Suppose I promise to all of you, okay, everybody in this room, we're all going to go to Disney World for a week. Anybody excited about that idea? Okay. All right, so I hypothetically promise to all of you that we're going to Disney World for a week. All right, I'll pay for your ticket. I'll pay for your, your plane ride. I'll pay for your slushies once you get there. I'll pay for your food and your housing, everything. Promise. Promise to pay for it. Hypothetically promise, okay, it's not actually going to happen. All right, but so here's the thing. We all need to come back here tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. because we're going to leave, all right? We're going to leave and we're going to go together to Disney World for one whole week, okay? Now, don't come here at 7 a.m. tomorrow, please, because I will be in bed, so don't, don't do that, all right? Uh, but, so it's, pretend like we all forgot, you all forgot to tell your parents, okay? You wake up in the morning, the next day, go wake up mom and dad. Mom, dad, I got to go. Where are you going? I got to go to the church. 
We're, we're going to Disney World. Pastor Robbie promised that he's going to take us to Disney World. Your parents would probably be surprised, right? <laughs> they would be a little uh, surprised, I would say, because uh, they had never heard of this. They were strangers to the promise that I gave to you. They had no idea. They had never heard of this promise that I had given, given to you. Before being in Christ, we were strangers to God and the covenant and promises that he had made. Without Christ, we would, have, we would not have even been aware of the great joys found in relationship with God. If not brought near by the blood of Jesus, then we, were, we are not a friend of God, but a stranger of God. Verse 12 continues that, and says, we were without hope. Have you ever been in a position without hope? Something like, I am totally going to fail this test. It is hopeless. Or, I totally screwed up that friendship. That, it seems hopeless. Or, I totally have no idea where to go or what to do. When Paul is talking about uh, having no hope, he is going beyond those surface level uh, losses of hope, which I just described. He is diving deeper into the waters of despair, and he's talking about a hope that is much more detrimental and much more um, devastating to experience. He is talking about a lack of hope without having God in our life and without being in a relationship with him. Before Christ, we had no hope of having access to God. He tells us in verse 12 what the lack of hope was. All right, so take a look at verse 12. We were without God in our lives. <clears throat> this is so devastating. Can you imagine being in a world without God? This would be terrifying and confusing. Paul here brings us to the bottom of the valley of the darkest place in his description of what it would be like to have the absence of God in one's life. That is what we were like before Christ. Before Christ, we did not have access to God in our world. Verse 13 tells us something, though. It says, but now. <clears throat> this is the moment where the climax of the song hits. Right? This is like the best part of the song. This is the aha moment or the surprise in verse 13 here. The moment when we see the safety boat off in the distance, when we thought all hope was lost, and we hear Paul say, but now. So when we see this, but now, I think it would be appropriate for us to reflect back and to see what we were once like. So if you are in Christ, I'm speaking to those that are in Christ, this is what you once were, the top of your page there, not set apart, separated, alienated, strangers to God, with no hope, and without God in the world. But then this but now phrase should make our hearts skip a beat. It makes us excited by the fact that we were once this way, but now we are something else, something different. And our hearts should be anticipating in excitement of what Paul is about to describe to us and tell us about. It's almost as powerful as the but God back in 2.4. Right, right where uh, Pastor Cody talked about last week. But these two words that we encounter here in verse 13, they give us hope because we get to look at this list of what we were like once before and rejoice over what God has created 
in us through Christ. Paul then tells us specifically uh, what it is. It is in Christ Jesus. Remember our definition for in Christ? All right? it, is Christians founda- it is a Christian's foundational identity of being made one with Christ. So this phrase in Christ is very helpful. It's not uh, by Christ or it's not from Christ. It is in Christ. Kind of like when you go canoeing and you jump in the river, right? You jump in the river and it is by the river that you are in where you get access from one point to the next, right? It is in that river which you are able to be granted access. Remember, too, that Christ is not Jesus's middle name or his first name or uh, a fun nickname that he has, right? This is uh, a, a name specifically given to him, which means chosen one or the Messiah. Paul is specific as well about how we are brought near. It is through this promised Messiah who is Jesus. Jesus, the one who uh, we know his story from his birth, right? And we've learned even from uh, Matthew 1 that he is from the tribe of Benjamin, from the root of Jesse. So we get to see and learn his, his history. He is the one who has been promised since Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 11.1, 1, and all throughout God's word where we see glimpses of the promised Messiah that is going to come and redeem people and bring people to God. It is in him that we are brought near. Paul then continues, he says, You who once were far off, in verse 13, now through the precious blood of Jesus, you are offered citizenship, adoption into God's family as covenantal blood-purchased individuals. You and I once were far off with no access to God. We were once far off in this way, but now we are brought near. Verse 13. We are brought near. In the Greek here, this suggests uh, brought near in relationship. We are being drawn near to God. We are not doing the drawing ourselves. Okay. <clears throat> if in Christ, we are no longer rivals separated from God and are considered the people of God. We are, in fact, brought near to God through Jesus. And there are two ways that we are brought near. All right? So vertically and horizontally brought near. So let's talk about vertically being brought near first. Now because of Jesus, the old laws have been fulfilled. And people have access through Jesus to be unified to God. <clears throat> We are, not, we are now brought near to God and have access to him, not as strangers, but as friends. Not as aliens, but as adopted children of God. Because we are brought near, we can pray to God confidently. Because of Jesus bringing us near, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Because we are brought near, we have comfort from God. Because we are brought near, we have peace with God. Because we are brought near... We have been saved by God. That is a powerful relationship, a meaningful relationship. The chance to talk with our Creator who knows us perfectly and loves us to the point of sending His Son to die for us grants comfort, peace, and salvation through Jesus. 
So I talked about a vertical being vertically brought near, but then we are horizontally brought near. As a result of this vertical relationship that's been restored between us and God, if we are in Christ, we now have a, a horizontally being brought near to one another. We are now welcomed in together as a unified group of people. This passage is where it turns and begins to talk a lot about unity in the book of Ephesians. And it begins to talk about this new group of people. That's the church. That's us. We are this unified group of people. There's no distinction of who can have access to God. Everyone can have access to God, but not everyone will choose God. If God brings people to himself through Jesus, then does God segregate people based upon their outward appearances? If God brings people to himself through Jesus, does he consider some people better than others? Does he prefer hanging out with some people and turn his backs on others uh, because they like him more or they are smarter or more fun or fill in the blank? If God doesn't do that, then why do we do that? Right? Because God drew us near to him, we can love our neighbor as God loves us. Because God drew us near to him, we can rejoice over the fact that we as a church have been claimed by God. This is something we do in our worship. We rejoice over the fact that God has claimed us together. Because God drew us near to him, we can love the person on our right and on our left because they are no longer considered a stranger, but may in fact be a brother or a sister in Christ. Those who are not in Christ can be loved as well because there is still a chance for them to join us in relationship with God if they repent of their sins and claim Christ as their Savior. So then the question is, how are we brought near? All right, this is a question that we ask from the text. This is a very important question to ask because there is only one way to have a relationship with God and being brought near to Him. It is not through anything we do to earn this relationship with God. It is by one means only. It is in verse 13, it tells us it is through Christ's blood. This is where Jesus is considered our substitutionary atonement. Pastor Cody talked about that a little bit this morning. He said, he, he taught us about that. He, Jesus, substituted himself in our place to atone or amend for our sins. Jesus speaks a lot about this, and he even hints at this in his mission in uh, John 10, 16, when he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. He, Jesus, brought the flock into his fold by dying and spilling his blood. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is part of accomplishing this plan that Jesus set out before us and he made available through his blood. This, this letter that you're reading from Ephesians, in Ephesians rather, it was written over 2,000 years ago. God's saving plan is being carried out even now as we are sitting here reading from it and rejoicing over that. 2,000 years ago, this town of Avon, you know this town where we're, even this spot where we're sitting, this, this didn't exist with all this, all this stuff that we see around right now, right? This wasn't here. 2,000 years later, we are experiencing and learning from God's inspired word and hearing how we have joy and opportunity of being brought near into relationship with God through the blood of Christ. We together 
are, have been joined here 2,000 years later get to hear of the joys that we see in Scripture and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18-19 is being carried out even right now as we reflect from Paul's words together. And Jesus' mission of being, uh, bringing more people into his fold is being accomplished. There is no distinction between Jew or Gentile, but all are welcome to join God through Christ's saving mission accomplished by his blood spilt for us on the cross. So now what? How do we, what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, I want to talk to two specific pe- groups of people. I want to address those that are not in Christ and those that are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, then you are not brought near in relationship with God. If you are not in Christ, these words are true of you right now. The, the, they were not. It's not the were true of you. It is are, they are true of you. You are alienated. You are separated. You are without hope. Those, in who, those who are not in Christ, I deeply want you to be near to God. I want you to have the hope in him, not separated from him. Do not remain in this place of being uh, apart from Christ. You can be brought near by the blood of Jesus. If you repent, turn of your sins, trust Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. Those that are in Christ, if you are in Christ, I want to talk to you specifically. We have been brought near, and that should change how we praise God. That should change how we relate to others and treat them. If in Christ we are humbled, remembering it is by God's accomplished mission that we have a new standing before him. If in Christ we have confidence that we have access through Jesus to God. If in Christ we have hope. If in Christ our heart motivations are changed in how we relate to others. It is God-centered, not me-centered. If in Christ our lives are joyfully filled with worship. If in Christ, then you are set apart, brought into relationship through his blood, and given hope, unity, friendship, citizenship, and peace with God to the praise of his glory. I want to close for you by reading from Romans 15. It says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, so Paul is is slowing down and looking at some Old Testament things here. He says, As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name, And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the nations, all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you may abound in hope. To be without God, there is no hope. Not having a relationship with God, nor having even the means to have access to God, there is no hope in this life nor the next. But there is hope because we do have access to God through Jesus. There is a means to have a relationship with him. This hope has been graciously given because of Jesus, and this draws us near to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing your word to us and granting us access back to you through your Son. Father, as we come tonight and worship in our singing, may it be sweet to your ears. We want to sing and rejoice over how you made a way available for us. Jesus, thank you for coming, dying, and rising again. Thank you for spending yourself, for spending your life for us so that we may know. May we spend our lives for you and be willing to deny ourselves as you did, Jesus. You deserve all the praise and glory. Holy Spirit, move within this place. If you are convicting someone in here who may not be in Christ, help them not to be afraid to talk with someone here tonight. Holy Spirit, give us hearts of joy delighting over the fact that you, God, made a way available to be brought near. You are gracious and loving. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.